It's good to see everybody here today on a cold January morning that's going to become a colder afternoon and a colder evening, as I understand it. So bundle up. But it is great to have you here this morning. We are at the beginning of a new year. And in 2015, our theme word was the word conversation. We stayed the whole year looking at that word, especially four basic conversations in life. The conversation we have with God, the conversation we have with ourselves, the conversation we have with each other, and then that conversation that we as Christians have with our world, sharing the good news of Jesus Christ. Now, about six months ago, we began to pray Uh, myself and the pastoral team and the elders, the leadership council, we all began to pray about mid-year. What is the theme? What is it that God wants to say to Calvary Church in 2016? And so as we prayed, there was one word that came, that emerged. And it's the word, it's the word intersection. And we're going to spend, we're going to build our theme, our, our messages this year around that one word. You know, Calvary Church family is located geographically at the intersection of State Street and Archer Avenue. I think most of you know that, or you probably wouldn't be here this morning, right? Okay. Uh, but there is also a spiritual intersection where God is calling his church family to be located And it is an intersection where three roads come together. And the first of those roads is called Truth Road, which is about the intersection of our lives with Jesus Christ, who said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to God except through me. Jesus Christ is the truth. The truth is a person that we meet, Jesus Christ. So the Truth Road is about knowing Jesus. And we come to this intersection one by one, each of us as we come to Christ. Each of you has your story about how you came to know Jesus Christ. And just incidentally, how many of you came to know Jesus when you were a child in elementary age school? How many of you? Hold your hand up there. Okay, that's a good number. How many of you came to know Christ when you were a teenager? All right. How many of you came to know Christ in your 20s and 30s? Okay, well, how about 40s and 50s? Uh, 60s and 70s, (laughs) 80s, 90s, okay, all right, each of us has our own story, one of the most exciting things Christians can do is talk about how they came to Christ and share that with each other, anyway, uh, the second road coming into the intersection is called relationships road, you know, you come to Jesus and you discover that you are not alone at the intersection, This intersection is a relational intersection. You find out that there's a gathering there. There's there's a whole group of people that have come to know Jesus Christ. They they become your brothers and your sisters, what Jesus calls the church. It's a new family. And And this second intersection of relationships is all about the people of Jesus loving each other. And then there's a third road called Mission Road which leads this gathering of people who know Jesus and love each other to unite in a brand new, passionate, compelling mission. It's the mission that Jesus has given us. It's taking this message of Jesus, this good news that has brought us to the intersection, 
changed our lives, is taking that and going back out into the world. So you see, these, th this intersection is a two-way street. We come to Christ to this intersection. He brings us there. But then we turn around with a mission that is just passionate in our heart, and we take this good news of Jesus back out into the world so that we can invite other, other people can come and be part of this intersection. You see, the intersection we're talking about here is that one place in the world where the kingdom of God intersects this broken, sinful, fallen world. Where does that intersection take place? It takes place in the church of Jesus Christ and through the church of Jesus Christ. So the church is strategically important to the work of God. Now, this gathering at the intersection of truth, relationship, and mission describes what God created the church to be because God wants to change the spiritual map of people's lives all around us who are headed in the wrong direction. They're headed away from God. They're headed toward their own self-destruction. They are lost. God wants to spiritually relocate many, many, many people and bring them to this intersection into the kingdom of God, into the family of God. And so this intersection that we're talking about this morning, it's, a, it's really a way for us to picture in our minds what happens when a church comes to unity in these three things. When a church comes to unity in knowing Jesus Christ passionately, when a church comes to unity in loving each other passionately, when a church comes to unity in having that mission of Christ that loves people and we lay our lives down for people, when a church comes together with that passionately, what happens in that church? What does God do? We have an example of that in the very first church, that church in Jerusalem. Acts chapter 4, verse 32 says this about the Jerusalem church. It says, the multitude of them that believed were of one heart and one soul. Imagine that. They were at that intersection. They had totally bought in to this thing called church. They had totally bought into this person called Jesus. They had totally bought into this mission, this purpose that Christ comes to energize our hearts and lives with. And so what happened? Acts chapter 6, verse 7 says that the word of God, the truth of God, increased and the number of disciples multiplied in Jerusalem. There were ripple effects, not just ripple effects, there were waves that were coming out of that church and touching and transforming the lives of people that were lost. Acts chapter 12, verse 24 says, and I like the way the organic terminology that, that Luke uses here to describe what happened in that church. You see, the word of God is living. It is organic. It is the, it's spiritual organic is what it is. It says, but the word of God grew and it multiplied. Acts chapter 19, verse 20 says, so mightily grew the word of God and the word of God prevailed. What did it prevail over? It prevailed over sin. It prevailed over the brokenness. It prevailed over the wounds. It prevailed over the barriers that keep people separated from God. That's what was coming out of that church. And it was transforming the city of Jerusalem turning it upside down. What, was, what they were seeing again and again in that city, they were seeing people that they would have least expected to ever come to God, come to God. 
Have you ever known anybody that you thought there is no way that person will ever come to Christ? Have you ever seen it? you know anybody like that? Maybe you. <laughs> Maybe you were that person. I, I knew a guy in Pennsylvania. And I, I mean, this is not the only guy I've known. This surprised me and shocked me. But he was, his name was Jerry. He was a logger. He drove, his work was driving log skidders and hauling logs out of the woods. And he was tough, rough, rough at the edges, more than that. Every other word was a curse word. He had no time for God in his life at all. Now, his wife and his kids, they came to church. Jerry was never there. But you know what? One day, I was over at Jerry's house, and I was happened to visit with him. And someone had given him a book that was really popular way back there in the 70s, it would have been. And some of you probably read it. It's called The Late Great Planet Earth. Uh, and Jerry had read that book. It's about Christ and his coming and explain the way to know Christ. And I asked Jerry, you know, I talked with him about the book a little bit, and then at the end of it, I said, hey, Jerry, I mean, have you ever received Christ in your life? Would you like to do that? And to my shock, <laughs> he said, yeah. <laughs> and I should have had more of a, I guess, more faith in my conversation with him, but he shocked me. You do? <laughs> okay. <laughs> then, uh, so, we prayed. And Jerry received Christ into his life. Uh, and his life was changed. He, he took God seriously. Uh, maybe a six months, a year later, I was over at his house, and I was outside with him, and Jerry was just telling me, you know, I don't know if I really am a Christian or not, because sometimes at work, I forget myself, and some of that old language just, man, it's, it's out there before I could even catch myself. And he said, I don't even know if I am a Christian. I don't know if God changed me or not. And I said to Jerry, Jerry, hey, there's all kinds of evidence here. He has changed you. Why does this bother you now? It never bothered you before, but it bothers you big time now when you slip, when you mess up. Why is that? It's because you love Jesus Christ. You want to please him. Your life is changing. So God, so that's what God wants to, that's what God was doing in Jerusalem in multiple numbers of people. How many of you have loved ones today, family members that are not walking with God? I'll bet every hand in here would go up. They're walking away from God. They're lost. That's what was happening in Jerusalem. What was it that turned the tide? What was it? How did, what happened? What caused the word of God to prevail in the city of Jerusalem? It was when that church came together at the intersection. It's when those Christians got serious about this thing called Christianity and serious about their faith, and they were determined not to let Satan keep them back, and they took hold of Christ, and it changed their own lives, and it caused ripple effects to come emanating, spreading out of that church that changed the community. That is the same way that the church works in the 21st century. But how does the church come into that intersection? Well, it only happens one believer at a time. It happens as each one of us take this as our goal, to be at that intersection individually. And then once we're all there individually, then we become that gathering, that united church. That's the calling of Jesus to us. Jesus calls us to this intersection. So let me, let me describe this. Here's how Jesus said it in Matthew chapter 16. He described in Matthew 16, probably more clearly than any other place in the Gospels, what it really means to be a, a Christian. So we need to get that definition down. 
Uh, here's what it says in verse 21, Matthew 16. It says, from that time on, Jesus began to explain to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem, and this is the city that would later on be so radically changed. I just, you just read about it, but it wasn't yet. It took something else to happen first. So Jesus says, I'm going to go to Jerusalem, and when I get there, I'm going to suffer many things at the hands of the elders, the chief priests, the teachers of the law, and I'm going to be killed, and I'm going to be raised to life on the third day. So Jesus was headed toward the intersection with what? With the cross. And you know, what, is, what stands at the center of this intersection? What stands at the center of Christianity and everything our faith represents? Every bit of power, every bit of hope, every bit of strength, every bit of redemption. Where does it all come from? It comes from the cross, the center of our faith. It's at the center of the intersection. That's where Jesus was headed. But in order to get to that cross, what did he have to go through? He had to go through intense suffering. He had to go through intense pain. His heart was going to be stabbed, not only literally, but his heart was going to be stabbed again and again and again by criticism, by, by the disrespect of other people. All kinds of barriers were going to stand in his way. And Jesus told his followers there, who had been with him for three years almost, about the suffering. So what happens next? Well, Peter becomes the spokesperson for the reaction of his closest associates here. What does it say in verse 22? Peter took Jesus aside. Now, I want you to imagine this, okay? This is Peter, okay, listen to this. How many of you would have the guts to do this, okay? Peter took Jesus aside and began to gently, you know, speak to him. That isn't what it says. Can you imagine, here's Peter taking the Lord of the universe, the creator of the heavens and the earth, the Savior. He pulls him aside and says, he begins to rebuke him. You know what? When you rebuke somebody, I don't, think, I don't know if you can rebuke somebody without being steamed. Can you rebuke somebody without being angry and mad and upset? Peter was upset. He was angry with Jesus. And this is what he was angry about. Never, Lord, this is never going to happen to you. You're never going to suffer. You came to set us free from suffering. You're, never, you're not going to go to a cross. You're not going to die. What was Jesus' reaction to that? Verse 23. Jesus turned to Peter, said, Get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me. You have in mind... You don't have in mind the concerns of God. You don't have in mind God's interests here, but your own human concerns, your own human interests. So up to that point, Peter viewed his Christianity through his, the lens of his own self-interests, not God's. And that's why pain was so repulsive to him. Then Jesus comes, I believe, to the most important statement, definition, of what it means to be a disciple, a true follower of Jesus Christ. Verse 24, he says, if anyone would come after me, he or she must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. 
So what was Jesus saying to Peter? He was saying to him and all the others that were there that day, he says, not only am I headed for that intersection with the cross, (laughs) but if you want to follow me, then that's the intersection you're headed for too. Take up your cross and follow me. Now, what is following Jesus? What does that mean? Let's break that down into two, uh, two things I think it means. One, following Jesus is about the complete and total surrender of yourself totally to Jesus Christ so that his will replaces your will, becomes your will. The Apostle Paul tells us exactly what it is because he gives, he, he gives us the example of Jesus in Philippians chapter 2. Let me read this passage of Scripture. Philippians 2, verse 5. He's speaking to the Christians in Philippi, but he's speaking to us too. He says, your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, who being in, the very, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped. Jesus, the Son of God, was equal. He, was, he is God, equal to the Father, the eternal God. All power is his. Everything is his. But you know what? Jesus, didn't, Jesus wasn't power hungry. He wasn't ego driven. He wasn't self-interest driven. The God who has all power, Jesus Christ was willing to let go of that. And the next passage says, to allow himself to be made nothing. Now, that doesn't talk about the abnegation of self. What it's really talking about here is Jesus, he was willing to live not for popularity. He was willing to go through whatever it took to be God's servant. He made himself nothing. Wasn't living for fame and and, uh, self-advancement, personal power, personal peace. He wasn't trying to create his own little world of peace and joy. That isn't what Jesus was all about. It says he took the very nature of a servant. He took the nature of a person who lays down his life for other people. Being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man, listen to this, he humbled himself and he became obedient to death, even death on a cross. Jesus was headed for that intersection. He knew he was going to suffer, but he knew there was a reason behind it all and that something great was going to come out of it. So, now, all of us want fulfillment. Would that not be true? Would you agree with me? Everybody in here wants fulfillment. We were created to desire to be personally fulfilled, obviously. But doesn't it seem like finding fulfillment is so elusive? We strive for it all the time, but we never get it. We think we're about to get it, or we try something new, and we think, there it is. There's my fulfillment. If I can just create those circumstances in my life, then I am going to be that complete and whole and fulfilled person. You know what most often gets in the way of that dream, I think, What most often gets in the way of that is our our sufferings. (laughs) We try to create these pain-free sufferings in our life where pain is just minimal if, if not eliminated altogether. 
And if we think we can get that situation, if we can just get rid of this problem, get rid of this pain, get rid of this pressure, then, then we are going to be fulfilled. It's like the Southwest commercial. I don't know if it's still on, but it pictures a guy at work and everything's going nuts and wrong. And, and then it says, do you want to get away? And so south, and the next place is a beach in the Caribbean somewhere, and you get there by flying Southwest Airlines, okay? It's that elusive desire for fulfillment. But we seek it on the wrong path. We seek it by our own ingenuity, making that our goal. And that's what Jesus is talking about here. If you want to be a true disciple of mine, don't be a self-directed person trying to find your own peace and purpose and fulfillment in life. And so I said a moment ago, we think we're going to find fulfillment by if we can just eliminate the pain from our lives. But here's the second thing Jesus says. Following him to the cross is also about a new way of facing our pain. Instead of trying to evade it and run away from it, that's what Peter was trying to do, and that's why Peter rebuked Jesus. Pain? Following you has to do with suffering and pain? A cross? No way. He got mad at Jesus for even talking about it. He got bitter. He got angry. What do you mean, dealing with suffering injustice? What do you mean, Lord? Not me. And not you either, Lord. You came to cure injustice, so why are you going to experience it? What Jesus is saying to Peter is, he needed to come to understand that suffering in this world for the follower, for the disciple of Jesus, is part of the path to the cross. And there is no other way around it. But here's the thing we have. Here's what Jesus does promise. As you trust in me on the path and the pain and the injustices and the wounds that you have in your life, you will not only find the cross at the intersection, you'll also find the resurrection there. You'll also find my life, my power, my presence in you that is going to bring you through that pain and as I bring you through that pain, I'm even going to use that pain to shape you, to mold your character into more of my own character, my own likeness. That's the path of discipleship. You know, Mark Batterson in his book, it's a great book and I would recommend it. He wrote a book called All In. Here's what he, he asks a profound question that challenges a very common and popular brand of Christianity that's being promoted today. And the question is this. Who is following who? Are you following Jesus? Or are you asking him to follow you? There's a profound difference there. And you see, that's what Peter didn't understand that day. You know, Peter had been with Jesus for three years, and he loved, I think he loved every minute of it. He was in the company of Jesus. He got to see all the miracles. He got to see the provisions and be part of the provisions of the feeding of the 5,000. He got to be there for the stilling of the storm. Uh, he got to walk on water. <laughs> uh, that might have got scary for him for a minute, but he, uh, he got to see Jesus raise the dead. He saw Jesus win those arguments with the skeptics with his strokes of brilliance. 
He, saw, he heard Jesus teach about heaven and the kingdom of God and all the excitement that comes with that. You know, Jesus, Peter wanted Jesus to be around. Because, Peter, because Jesus would help Peter and everybody else who followed him evade pain, minimize the person, and maximize the personal peace and the comfort of life until he got to heaven. And that's a popular brand of Christianity today, that we come to know Jesus so that we can minimize the pain in our life and then get through and get to heaven someday and get out of here. That isn't the, that isn't the, that isn't the Christianity of this book. That isn't what Jesus talked about. When Jesus called Peter to follow him to the cross, he was calling him to a life where he would not run away from but run into engagement with a suffering world. Be inconvenienced by the sorrows and the losses and the needs of people around us who would enter into the pain and the sufferings of people. Not live an escapist kind of life, but a life that is engaged and lived as a servant of others. Peter, in order to live that true kind of Christianity, had to surrender himself. He had to die to his own self-will and give himself completely to Jesus. Here's a question. Can a person be a Christian and not be a disciple of Jesus? I think so. Yeah, I believe so. In fact, a few verses later in, this very, in, in Philippians chapter 2, Paul says something very interesting. He's, uh, he's in prison, and he is wanting to send uh, Timothy to see the, these Christians in Philippi, to encourage them. This is what it says, Philippians 2. He says, I hope to send Timothy to you soon uh, because I have no one else like him who takes a genuine interest in your welfare. Listen to this, verse 21. For everybody looks out for his or her own interests and not those of Jesus Christ. And he's not talking about people that don't know Christ here. He's talking about other Christians. He's saying there's a lot of Christians who are living that kind of life that Peter understood Christianity to be. I'm not thinking about the interests of God, but thinking about their own personal interests. A lot of Christians live their life that way. I would say many of us, perhaps early on in our Christian life, in our infancy, before we fully understood what Christianity is about, a lot of us might be in that camp. But you know, there comes the most important transitional place as we move from infancy to adulthood. What is that? The world doesn't circulate around me anymore. It does it around a toddler, right? <laughs> the whole world's toddlers. But when we mature, what would we expect to happen? Oh, I'm here to contribute. I'm here to serve, same way spiritually. And so that's, that's the kind of Christianity we're talking about here at the intersection. It's possible to be a Christian who just wants Jesus to be around, to be a part of my life, because he can meet my needs, he's there for me, he's there to help me, he's there to keep me safe and keep pain away from me. That's the kind of relationship Jesus had, or Peter had in mind. But Paul states for us what is true discipleship. Again, in Philippians chapter 3, verse 10, this is what he says. This is an interesting verse. Paul says, I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection. But he doesn't stop there. 
and the fellowship of his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. What's he saying there? If we don't turn our pain over to Christ, if we run away from serving people in their pain and try to live our own risk-free, safe world, if we don't enter into the fellowship of Jesus' sufferings, we will never know the power of his resurrection, his power and presence sustaining us and giving us strength, and the most gratifying sense of purpose to be found in the world comes by dying to yourself and trying to create your own little painless world and just taking hold of Jesus with all your heart and with all your problems and all your pressures and all your wounds and all the injustices, turning them over to him and saying, Lord, I'm walking with you to the cross because I know on the other side of that cross I'm going to experience the resurrection life of your divine power to heal me and redeem those wounds either here or in the world to come. Not all of our wounds get healed in this world. That's why we have hope in Christ. He heals us here, but we're going to be totally healed on the day of the resurrection, and then we're going to jump for joy and sing. But self-interest kind of Christianity will keep us from living with that kind of a vision and and an understanding of what it means to follow Jesus. Jesus went on to say in Matthew chapter 16, he says, whoever tries to save his life That is, protect yourself, live self-protectively, find your own happiness. You're going to lose it. It's going to slip through your fingers. But if you lose your life, lay down your life for me, guess what? You will find your life. You'll find your true self, who you really were created to be. You know something? I've been thinking about this lately. I'm thinking about it yesterday. I... As a pastor, and this is true for everybody, every Christian, every single day I have to make a choice about what's greater in my life. My pain or my passion for Jesus. Every single day I have to answer that question to keep going, to keep moving forward in my life. There's many times I think when we all feel like throwing in the towel, quit, it's crazy, I can't do it. I have to answer the question every day before the Lord, Lord, what's greater, my pain or my passion for serving you? And so do you have to answer that question. So I want to bring this down to a close this morning. Um, First, do you know Jesus Christ? That's that first road, the truth road. Have you in your life come to receive Jesus Christ? And how do you do that? By believing that on that cross he died for your sins and mine so that we could be forgiven of all of our sins. And the relationship, the barrier between us and God removed so that you can come to know him. And how you just say, Lord, you come to him and say, Lord, forgive me, I've I've sinned. Come into my life, be my Lord, be my God. I want to follow you all the days of my life. And I also bring all my pain to you all my sorrows, everything, I, 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 I give myself to you. If you'll pray that prayer right now where you're seated, Jesus Christ will forgive you of your sins. He will come into your life. If you mean it with all your heart, come to him in faith. The second question is for those of us that are serving him. Are you a, a Christian seeking the comfort from Jesus? Is that your goal? 
Or are you a Christian, a disciple, seeking the mission of Jesus, seeking to be used of Jesus Christ in this world of pain to help others come to know him? You're living for others. You're laying your life down for Jesus and for others. Is that, is that how you define your Christianity today? That's the challenge for us who know him. Jesus said, take up your cross. Luke says it this way. Luke chapter 9, verse 22. He says, we have to take up our cross daily. It's a choice every single day to recommit to Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you this morning for sending Jesus Christ. Lord, we thank you for going to that cross. And now, Lord, you've called us to go to that cross too so that we can discover you. And when we discover you, we discover who we are. And we can, we can lay aside this elusive self-searching for our own personal peace and all the answers to our problems now. And we can just trust you, Lord, to lead us step by step into that life of self-sacrifice where joy and peace and truth are found. So, Father, I pray that you will just help us to come to you with all of our hearts. Help us to lay our lives down before you, total surrender. Deny ourselves, take up our cross, and follow you. And, Lord Jesus, uh, speak to every one of us today about where we are. You know our own personal spiritual location. Lord, bring us all to the intersection where the cross is. And we give you praise, we give you thanks. And we pray this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Amen.